Matthew chapter 17 this morning. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Actually, let's read our text first. We're going to just look this morning at, at the first eight verses. It says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led, him up, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just come before you, before your word. Today, we thank you uh, for your son, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you're here. I thank you, Jesus, that where two or three come together in your name, you have promised, there am I with them. And so, Lord Jesus, we just welcome you here. We, we welcome you even into the teaching time this morning. And we pray that we would behold you, that we would see you, that we would see you in your glory this morning, that we would get a greater glimpse of what that means. And uh, this morning, Lord, there's a couple people I just want to pray for. I, I lift up Neil to you, Father. We thank you for our friend. He's in VGH. We continue just to pray for him, Lord, that you touch him. We pray for his healing, for his total recovery, Lord. We just thank you for the work that you're doing in his life. I lift up Roxy to you this morning, who's homesick and not been with us for a couple weeks. Lord, would you just touch her physically too, we ask. And uh, Lord, if there's others that just need your touch this morning, we just, we just invite you. Come, Lord Jesus. And uh, we pray that you would give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might see you better this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At the close of Matthew chapter 16, the Jesus told the disciples that they would not taste death. Some of them would not taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, it's just six days have passed. We read here in Matthew chapter 17. Six, six days since Peter confessed about Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I imagine that over those six days, there's been lots of conversation between Jesus and the boys. You know, they've talked about what that means. Talked about um, this truth of him being the Messiah, the Christ, that there's been time probably for them to talk and for him to teach them regarding the church, this thing that was a, a new concept that Jesus had introduced to them. And probably they had talked about in, in further death, his impending suffering and all that was going to happen in Jerusalem. Uh, the things of God and the things of men as we saw them last week. And so we read again in verse 1 that it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now the region they were in, we talked a little bit about this over the last couple weeks, is this beautiful area called Caesarea Philippi. Um, that's the place where Peter made his confession that he believed Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God. And Caesarea Philippi um, sits at the foothill, essentially, of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon stands 2,800 feet 
or sorry, 2,800 meters, 9,200 feet. It's the biggest mountain uh, in Israel, in modern Israel. They actually have, today there's a ski hill there. You can go there and go skiing, the only place where they have skiing in, in Israel. And so this is likely the place where this happened uh, because Matthew tells us it was a high mountain, okay? Now with Jesus to witness this whole event of his transfiguration, he, he took Peter, James, and John. They're the inner three amongst the 12. Why he in particular chose these three, I don't know. You know, some people suggest that it was these three who needed more supervision than the rest of the 12. And so you keep the, the orangutans close. And, um, and, and so here they are with, with Jesus. They've gone up the top of the mountain. And the interesting thing is, is that whatever, whatever the reason is, is when you see Peter, James, and John alone with Jesus, there is con a consistent lesson that is being taught always throughout the Gospels. And what you'll see is this, is that Jesus is dealing with death when he has Peter, James, and John with him. Let me remind you of that. Uh, these three were alone with him when he raised the daughter, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. He was teaching them that he, that he had victory over death. And he told them, we're going to be quiet about this whole thing. We're not going to talk. Don't tell other people what's going on here. But he, uh, or he called them to be alone with him, I guess is what I should say. Another time was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus pulled those three aside with him on the night which he was betrayed during that time of prayer. And it was in the garden where really the victory of the cross was won. That the, the, the decision for the cross was made in the Garden of Gethsemane. The rest is just all work to be done. But Jesus wrestled in the place of prayer. In the place of prayer, he surrendered to the Father's will. In the place, place of prayer, he surrendered to uh, death. And these three were with him in the midst of that. And now here we see this other instance of the transfiguration where Jesus is really teaching and showing them that he will be glorified in his death. You know, when you think about these three guys, history tells us, the Bible tells us that each of them, Peter, James, and John, had their own unique experience with death. Maybe that's why Jesus made sure they were educated in regards to the victory and the, the glory and uh, the surrender that happens in death. In John 21, uh, Jesus told, told Peter, the day is going to come, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And that's what happened. Peter was taken. He was crucified. He requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same way that Jesus had died. James was the first of the disciples to be put to death. He, he, he was the first to die as a martyr for his faith. History says that he was sawn in two. John was the last, his brother, James's brother, John, was the last of the disciples to die, and his death was unique too. He, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was in his 90s. He's the only one of the 12 to die of natural uh, causes, and he received a vision from the Lord on the island of Patmos of the book of Revelation, and he's the only one to die of natural causes. And so they each died in unique and different ways. And so Jesus uniquely prepared Peter, James, and John for what they would face in their future. And you know what I love about that is, is this, is that God will do the same for you. 
He'll uniquely prepare you for what you're going to face in your future. You know, it's been said, and I love this idea that everything in our lives, God is using everything in our lives to prepare us for the next thing. You know, you think about whatever you're facing today. God is preparing you for the next thing that he wants to do. Individually preparing you, personally preparing you, tailoring it to you, to your needs and to your personality. And so in the middle of that, what we need to do is always be sensitive to what he is saying, what he's saying in his word to us, what his, what his spirit is saying to us. And, and this morning, you know, as I consider that, I just take encouragement that, that whatever you are facing in life, whatever I'm facing in life, God is going to use that for his glory, for his good, and to glorify himself in your life for your good. Now we read here that, that Jesus was transfigured. He, he changed in front of his disciples on top of this mountain. The, the Greek word uh, translated transfigured is metamorpho. It, it, we, have the English, we derive the English word metamorphosis from that. It's the same word that's used to describe a caterpillar inside a cocoon. And Matthew tells us about this metamorphosis, this transfiguration that happened to Jesus on top of the mountain. What happened? He says his face shone like the sun. You remember uh, in the Old Testament that at the giving of the law in the book of Exodus, Moses received the law up on top of another mountain, Mount Sinai. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining with the glory of God. But with Moses, as time went on, what happened was as the glory began to fade, that, that shine began to go, and he actually would cover up his face because he didn't want people to see uh, the fading glory. Now, when you think about it, the glory of God faded from the face of Moses because Moses was reflecting the glory of something else. He was reflecting God's glory. But Jesus, on the other hand, was not shining here. We're going to see with the reflected glory. He was not shining with the glory from another source. Jesus himself was radiant with glory. It was emanating from his, from his person. Remember he said, I'm the light of the world. Light was actually emanating out of the face of Jesus and his face shone like the sun. Matthew tells us that his clothes became white as light. White like lightning, you know, whiter than anyone could wash them or whiter than they could be bleached. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 3. We read about Adam and Eve. Moses is the one who recorded the story of Adam and Eve. And, and Moses tells us that when they partook of, uh, when they chose to sin and they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that then their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made covering for themselves. The interesting thing about that is this, is that the, and I've told you this before, in the Hebrew language, what is expressed there is that when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, their light went out. That when they chose sin, the light turned off. The light left them. And it's an interesting thing to think that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When he comes up on top of this mountain and he is transfigured, what begins to radiate out of him? is light itself. You know, Psalm 104 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. 
You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. You know, Matthew chapter 17 here seems to suggest that light, the psalmist seems to suggest, the story of Genesis seems to suggest that light can be a garment for the righteous. And it may be, if you think about it, and I think it's probably, it's very probable, it may be that Adam and Eve were previously clothed with light prior to the fall. When they chose sin, the result was the immediate loss and covering of light. They recognized that they were naked. They felt exposed. They covered up. And it's more than probable that they were clothed with light before the fall. And when they sinned, the light went out. Now, this tells us something totally cool and incredible about Jesus when you think about it. He's the ideal man. He's the perfect man. He's the sinless man. At his transfiguration, Jesus changed form. Light came out of him. Light clothed him. He changed so that the glorious magnificence of his innocent, perfect, sinless, holy nature was seen. His human nature You know that the one gospel that builds its theme around demonstrating the fact that Jesus is the son of God, that he is deity, that he is God, is John's gospel. And it's interesting that John's, John's gospel, John tells us in John uh, chapter 20, verse 31, that he says, I write these things so that you will know that Jesus is the son of God. I, I'm giving all these convincing proofs so that you'll know that. And John's gospel is the only gospel account of of Jesus' life that actually does not tell the story of Christ's transfiguration. John wants to demonstrate the deity of Jesus, but he is the one gospel writer who does not tell the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. And when you think about it, it, John is here. He's, He's a witness to the whole thing, and he does not put this account in his gospel. And there's a reason for that. And I think sometimes we miss, that, uh, miss this in the story of the transfiguration. See, the transfiguration is actually not so much about the deity of Jesus as it is about the glory of his perfect humanity. That there was in him no sin. A sinless human being. Campbell Morgan says this. He says that Jesus' human life was expressed in three stages. Innocence, holiness, and perfected glory. You think about the innocence of Jesus. He was born with a sinless, innocent nature. Not of the seed of a man, but but born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit when he overshadowed the virgin. We're not born that way. My, my kids don't act that way. They weren't conceived that way. You know, I see how my kids act. I know how I act. You know, you think about a child. It doesn't take long for a child. We speak of the innocence of a child, but it doesn't take long for innocence in a child to disappear. As much as we love oh, little babies and, and how innocent and cuddly they are, babies learn to throw temper tantrums, you know. Amen, yeah. They throw their temper down. They learn. If I scream, I get what I want. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, then, if I scream, I'm just communicating if I was big enough, I'd take it from you, Darcy. <laughs> but I can't walk and I can't talk, so I'll scream. And a child will, you know, lie. A child will steal. You know, a child will disobey. But Jesus never did any of those things. He was innocent, and he remained innocent as he grew up. The Bible tells us, Matthew told us about when temptation came to Jesus. The devil came to him and the devil tempted him. We've, we've all experienced that. Temptation is common to all mankind. The difference between all of mankind and Jesus is this, is that Jesus was not overcome by temptation. Jesus was not overcome by all the promptings of the devil. Not only was he innocent, but he was also holy. Jesus was... In his nature, inherently holy, but not just was he holy inherently, he chose holiness. You know, someone who is holy is not someone who just simply is, simply is that. Someone who is holy is someone who says no to sin. No. A holy man is one who has looked into the face of sin and says, no, you're not going to rule over me. You know, just like you, sometimes I choose holiness and other times, not so much. I choose sin. Jesus was holy. In him there was no sin, and he chose no sin. Holy in his human nature. You know, last night I have to confess, I found chocolate milk in the fridge. It was my children's. I took it. I consumed all of it. I hid the evidence. I snuck it out of the house this morning so Jonah wouldn't know that I got his share of the chocolate milk. But I'm confessing now. Look it. We give in to temptation, but not Christ. He did not give in to sin. He was innocent and he was holy. On the Mount of Transfiguration, what we see is the perfect humanity of Jesus glorified. Jesus was seen with these disciples. What they were seeing was Jesus and the glory of all of his humanity. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. There was no shadow in him. There was no darkness in him, no shade, no murkiness, no blackness. Nothing was hidden. Jesus was God and he was man as God always intended his creation to be the light of the world, the light of the world. And you know, you and I, we, we don't know anything of that kind of perfection. Nothing of that glory. We, we don't know anything of that glory unless we take time to, to consider Jesus. We know nothing of that glory because there is, there is sin in us. And the transfiguration for for these witnesses, Peter, James, and John was all about the hope of glory, the hope that one day, one day like Jesus, I'll be glorified. One day like Jesus, you will be glorified. And you want to know the amazing thing? The amazing, the amazing thing about that, this hope that one day we'll be like that, is this, that the Bible tells us that in the eyes of God, that's how the Father already sees us just like Jesus on top of that mountain. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. By faith, 
justified by faith. You know, Paul spoke of this in Romans chapter 8. He says this, verse 28 through 30. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, also he predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. My friends, you are predestined to be conformed into the image of the transfigured Christ Jesus. Paul goes on, he says this in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. In the eyes of the Father, he sees you and I like he sees Christ on top of that mountain, glorified, clothed in light, not because I'm light, because Jesus is the light of the world. Because his righteousness is given to us when we surrender our lives to him. You know, I encourage you today, go home, read, chap- read Romans chapter 8 with the story of the transfiguration in your heart and mind. And Romans chapter 8 tells you this, that glory is your identity. Glory is your identity before, before the Father because of faith in Jesus Christ the Son. And the beauty of the story of the transfiguration is not simply that glory will be our identity, but glory will be our reality when we are with Jesus. You know, as we consider Jesus on the mount, Jesus is God's ideal for man. But here's the amazing part of this story of the transfiguration, and we're going to get more to this next week is that Jesus will come down from the place of glory. He'll come down the mountain and he will set his face for Jerusalem where he will share in the death and the experience of death with sinful man and he will die for sinful man. He will make the choice to leave glory and come down and come down into the valley of life. And as the disciples, Peter, James, and John, you know, you think about them consistently being educated in regards to death. When Jesus pulled them, anytime he pulled them aside, that's what he was teaching them. And so they were to learn on the Mount of Transfiguration that that is Jesus, the innocent, holy, perfected, glorified man would come down and, and share in the death of sinful man. So those men, Peter, James, and John, and so you and I, sinful people, will get to come up the mountain and share in the glory with Christ Jesus. We'll share in his glory. Now, God's a refuge. God is a refuge. Hope in Jesus is a refuge. The the scripture tells us that as in Adam all die, so in Christ. In Christ, all will be made alive. You know, Peter spoke of this instance much in, in his writings. When you, when you go to 2 Peter, he, he, he talks about what they saw a little bit. Uh, we saw his glory and his majesty. And Peter says this, that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And my friends, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been made alive by the Spirit of God. And even should death come, you will be glorified. You will be glorified. Uh, Paul said, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, 
who through us spreads the fragrance and the knowledge of him everywhere. We are led in the triumphal procession of Jesus. This is the hope of the righteous by faith. And this is the beauty of the account of Jesus' transfiguration. Verse 3 says this, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. So Matthew says, Behold, you got to stop. You got to consider this. This is crazy. Moses and Elijah materialize on the top of the mountain. It's not like they hiked up with them, they appear, they show up standing there with Jesus in the sight of Peter, James, and John. And you think about Moses, the scripture tells us Moses died on Mount Nebo. From the top of Mount Nebo, the Lord let him look into the promised land, but the Lord said, you can't go in. You can't cross the Jordan. I'll let you see it from a distance, but you cannot enter because you dishonored me in front of the people. Now this is, that was 1,400 years prior to this. Elijah, you know Elijah's story. Remember how he got out of the, out of the whole scene? Chariot of fire, whirlwind, taken up into heaven. Elijah is a man who never experienced death. His apprentice, Elisha, witnessed the whole thing and recounted it for us. 900 years before the time of Jesus, Elijah, Elijah was caught up into the whirlwind and taken up into heaven. Moses was the man who was the leader of God's people, Israel. He led them out of slavery in Egypt, some 2 million people. Moses received God's law on top of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Moses is a man here who, standing with Jesus, he represents God's law. There with him is Elijah. Elijah is kind of considered the prophet of all prophets, uh, the leader amongst the prophets. He represents them. And, and so in these two men are really seen the representation of the law and the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament. Moses also represents, in a sense, those who depart this life by death. Those who have faith in God and still they yet die. What happens to them in eternity? Elijah, on the other hand, represents those who will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air at the rapture of the church. And so these two men represent the entirety of the Old Testament, but they also represent for us uh, those who have faith in God and who will make the exodus from this life into eternity, from this life into the next. You know, what's neat about these men as you consider this is that though they were undiminished, or th though they had passed from this life into the next, they, they were undiminished. They, they stood before Christ Jesus in his glory as witnesses of eternal life. These two men stood as, as proof that Jesus holds in his hands the keys of life and death. And Luke's gospel tells us that they began to have a conversation with Jesus and they were discussing, interesting, the exodus of Jesus. They were discussing his departure at Jerusalem. Hey, our friend Saji is here. Welcome, Saji. You guys welcome, Saji? Good to see you, buddy. He's going to share with us shortly, so it's good to have you here. Uh, these, uh, these men began to discuss with Jesus his, his exodus, his departure, his death that would happen in Jerusalem. And I got to say, I mean, think about it. That must have been a pretty cool conversation. Can you imagine standing with Jesus 
with Moses and Elijah, and you're talking about Jesus' death that is yet to happen still. I mean, you got to wonder. Maybe Moses is like, hey, man, Jesus, you're going to like fulfill this sacrifice and this law, and this will be done, and people will see that you, this was all about you, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Maybe Elijah is like, Jesus, you're going to fulfill this prophecy, and you're going to fulfill this thing that Isaiah said, and this thing that Jeremiah said, and this thing that Ezekiel said. Man, Jesus, there are hundreds of things that you are going to fulfill with your death in Jerusalem. They discussed his departure, his exodus. What a great conversation. Until Peter interrupted it. <laughs> Open mouth, insert foot. Verse 4, look it. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Okay, Peter, what? Like, I just think that as you read this. What? Peter, you're like, you're like comic relief in the scriptures. I don't know. You know, first of all, what we should notice is this, is that, that Peter recognized Moses and Elijah. He recognized them and he knew who they were. Matthew doesn't tell us that Jesus did any formal introduction. It's not like, hey, Peter, meet Moses. This is Moses, my friend. You know, remember him? Basket in the Nile, the Exodus, Mount Sinai, you know, 40 years in the desert, the whole deal, Pharaoh's house. This is the guy. Moses, this is my buddy Peter. Peter. This is Elijah, you know, prophets of Baal, fire from heaven, whirlwind, chariots of fire, the drought, the rain, the whole deal. This is Peter, Elijah. He's a fisherman. That's not the scene. There was none of that. There was a simple and immediate recognition from Peter. You, know, you think about it. Sometimes people ask, when I get to heaven, will I recognize my loved ones? Will I know people? Will we know each other like we did on earth? Yes, we will. We'll know, better. We'll, we'll know one another better. Peter didn't even need an introduction and he knew who they were. Moses and Elijah, the amazing thing is here, they even, they seem to resemble their earthly selves. That there was a resemblance between their physical human body and the glorified body that they had in heaven. And so there was no need for introductions. There was no need you know, to try and remember somebody's name, word association or something like that. But all that said, Peter opened his mouth, he inserted his foot. And a wise man, the scripture tells us, learns to hold his tongue or to bite it. If you can't hold it, bite it. You know, when you don't know what to say, good advice is this, say nothing, but not Peter. Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Here's Peter's mistake. Peter put Moses and Elijah on the same level with Jesus. Matthew wants us to know that he's very clear. I will make one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Three tents. Peter put Jesus on the same plane, on the same level of existence with Moses and Elijah. Links the three of them together. Puts them on the same uh, footing. But right while he is vocalizing this whole idea, Peter gets interrupted. First, Peter interrupts the conversation. Now, Peter gets interrupted. And he's interrupted by the Father. 
who speaks from heaven. Check it out, verse 5. He was still speaking. Of course he was still speaking. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Peter's still speaking, talking about this whole idea of tents and tabernacles, and we'll build something up here on top of the mountain. When Matthew tells us, behold, stop and think about this again, a second time. Matthew says, this is so incredible. You need to stop and consider it. Well, what happened? A bright cloud just overshadowed Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and a voice came from the cloud, and the voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, a bright cloud. This is not simply just the idea of, you know, it rolled in, and they happened to disappear. This bright cloud represents something. It, it, it is, the implication is this, that the Shekinah glory of God came onto that mountain. This is like the cloud that was on Mount Sinai when God showed up and the law came down and the mountain trembled and thundered and the voice of God was heard from that mountain as well. This is the cloud that came into Solomon's temple when they were dedicating it to the Lord. You remember that when the Shekinah glory cloud came into the house of the Lord, the scripture tells us that the priests and those who were ministering there could not continue their work because of the presence of God that was so thick in their midst. They, they fell down on their faces. They could not stand to minister because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The Shekinah glory cloud proclaimed to the people of Israel the, the presence of God, that God was amongst them, that he was with them. And as that cloud covered Sinai, as that cloud filled the temple, as Peter was speaking, it came upon the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's a neat picture to think that just like the priests a thousand years before him in the days of Solomon, just like those priests a thousand years earlier, Peter, James, and John could not stand in the presence of God. They fell on their faces. It tells us they were terrified. Now, there's no building tabernacles. There's no doing the work of the ministry here. This is the presence of God. You fall on your face in fear. And the voice spoke from the cloud. Like I said, that happened on Mount Sinai as well. The Father's voice from heaven. And as he spoke, he put an end to all of Peter's blundering words. This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The same voice spoke the same message, actually, at Jesus' baptism. Spoke from heaven spoke the same words. The voice of the Father at Jesus' baptism said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You know, in the baptism of Jesus, when you think about it, it's kind of like, I don't know, the start of his ministry, the launch, the launch pad, the, the introduction of Jesus as he begins to go out and do his ministry. And now the voice from heaven speaks again. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's almost like a bookend on the ministry of Jesus. Things are winding down. The last bit of Matthew is going to cover a lot of information in a short period of time. 
the ministry of Jesus is winding down and, and there's a, a bookend being placed here and the father speaks from heaven again. And he gives his approval of his son. He proclaims his love for his son. He puts his stamp of approval on Jesus' life and ministry. Innocent, holy, glorified, the perfect man, the light of the world, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples were overcome with terror, as you can imagine, at the sound of God's voice. And the father announced this about Jesus. He, he said, listen to him. God's voice implores and he bids us to listen to the voice of Jesus. If the father could speak from heaven this morning and we heard something audible, I actually think that he would say this, listen to Jesus. Listen to my son. Listen to his voice. He is the word of God made flesh. God implores us to listen to Jesus. He is the beloved son. See, here's the thing. Listening to Jesus is listening to God. One and the same thing. To listen to God is to listen to Jesus. And we are to listen to Jesus. We are to hear him. When he teaches about God, he witnesses about himself. He proclaims himself. He teaches about himself. When he speaks of God and God's love and God's work, he speaks of himself. When he invites us to come to him and to find rest, when he commands, when he promises, he speaks of himself and the father says, listen to that voice. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness. See, the voice of Jesus is the voice that calmed the raging sea. His voice is the voice that speaks on earth as it is in heaven. His is the voice that says, rise and have no fear. See, when Jesus speaks, our hearts and our lips should say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. I, I humbly bow before you. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. And so there's the disciples, you know, the voice from heaven, the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they fall on their faces in the presence of God. But verse 7 tells us, but Jesus came and he touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You think about the voice of the Father. The voice of Father God is a voice that knocks you down. A voice that will knock you down. His voice will break you. His voice will bring brokenness in your life. His voice will convict you in regards to sin. But Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, his voice will pick you up. Rise and have no fear. You think of God's voice as it thundered on Mount Sinai. It said, thou shalt not. 
And he declared his righteous law and his righteous judgment against sin. You know, when you take time and you, you cruise through the Ten Commandments and you begin to weigh your life against those Ten Commandments, don't do it. Well, you should do that. It's a healthy exercise. And to take Jesus, the things that Jesus says about them too in the Sermon on the Mountain and see, man, God, I fall short of your glory. When you say thou shalt not, I did it, Lord, and I'm a sinner in your presence and I need you to forgive me. When you weigh yourself against the words of the Father, what you find is this. You can't measure up. You can't measure up. You cannot measure up to what he demands. And so before the Father, what can we do? We fall on our face and we say, I have no hope unless you have mercy on me. And that's when the Father sends the Son. That's when, when we come to that point, we say, Father, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner before you. That's when the Father sends the Son and Jesus comes and he says, rise. Have no fear. I mean, you think about that. If not for Jesus, what would we do? If not for Jesus, what would we do? Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. And at the words of Jesus to rise and have no fear, the, the Matthew tells us that the disciples, they lifted their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw Jesus only. That's the key right there to that. The whole text actually, I think. They saw Jesus only. They didn't see Moses who represents the law. May we not try to keep the law. They didn't see Elijah who represents the prophets. Good luck trying to follow the prophets. They saw Jesus only. Jesus only. No one, no thing, nothing beside him. Jesus alone standing there, only Jesus. And this whole story of the transfiguration, this this metamorphosis that happened to Jesus in front of the disciples on top of that mountain just verifies that, that as a man, Jesus lived 33 years sinlessly, innocent, holy, perfect, tempted at all points and yet without sin, face shining, clothes whiter than anyone could wash them. Jesus, the light of the world, it emanating out of him, the perfect man the perfect man. And I mean, when you consider that, one of the amazing things about the story of the transfiguration is this, is that it's right at that point, had he chosen to, Jesus could have just departed. He could have simply ascended right there into heaven. What is it that separates us from God? It's sin. But in him, there was no sin. Innocent, holy, perfect, glorified, right up into heaven. And if that had happened, well, then the world would have stood eternally condemned, damned, eternally separated and departed from God. But instead of being caught up into heaven, on that mount of transfiguration as the perfect man, Jesus did really what he only could have done. And that's this, it's the, 
to be obedient to the will of the Father. He had in his mind the things of God. Last week, the things of man and the things of God. Jesus' mind was set on the things of God. And so what did he do? He came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He entered into the valley of human, the valley of human condition. And he set his sights. We're going to see this through the Gospel of Matthew. He fixed his direction towards another mountain, Mount Calvary in Jerusalem, where he would suffer, as he told his disciples, where he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders and at the chief priests and the scribes, where he would be killed and where he would be raised on the third day. Next week, we're going to dive into this. More in chapter 17, we're going to look at what immediately happened as Jesus came down, as he came down the mountain. But more than that, um, we're going to see his desire to save lost humanity. And you know, as I, as I think about this, this text, actually, I, I stumbled across something. Well, I'm not stumbled across. The Spirit of God I, it just encouraged me this morning. I'm going to get you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I was in here in my quiet time this morning. The Apostle Paul came to realize and grip in his life that God's will would be fulfilled and that he would be glorified. And I think we can see that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this in verse 12. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that grace extends to more and more people. Sorry, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul, come, Paul came to the point where he understood in his life that he had great hope that as Christ would be glorified, so he would be glorified. And my friends, as Peter and James and John stood on the top of the mountain and Jesus was giving this lesson to them about death and revealing to him the perfection of his humanity, he was birthing in them a hope Peter. He's called the apostle of hope. He, he was birthing in them a hope that in the midst of whatever goes on, in the midst of whatever is experienced in the valley of life, though we suffer the many things that Paul even begins to reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, God is preparing, for, preparing to bring us into his glory where we will see him and where we will be like him. 
And so this morning, as I just think simply about application, the application is really simple. Listen to Jesus. That's it right there. Like that is the sum goal of life, my friends. If you're following Jesus, to listen to him, to listen to his words as the Father implores you to do. Let's pray this morning.